0: Well, we're very glad you're here at Shelby Road this morning. It's kind of fun to start with a baby dedication, all the parents up here and the babies. Think how confusing it is. You first have that first baby. It's the first baby for some of these, not for all of them. But you have that first baby, it's always an interesting time, isn't it? They, they truly don't come with instructions, do they? They, they just don't. And And... It's just such an interesting thing to start that journey of being parents. And, and then think about the baby, how confusing life is. And part of a parent's job, you know, is to, uh, is to you know, help them understand life. Parents have to, uh, they have to help their kids with confusion because it's easy to be confused. And that's one of parents' jobs is help to straighten it all out. Well, this morning I want to work on confusion too because I believe there's confusion in the church on what Christianity is all about. I really believe this. On what our spiritual lives are all about, what does it mean when we say, I have decided to follow Jesus? By the way, I don't know about you. We quieted down at the end there and just the whole auditorium people are singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back, that's moving to me. But what have we signed up for? What does it actually mean? I don't want anyone confused. Let's see if we can clarify it this morning. Here we go, Colossians chapter 2. Grab your Bibles if you have a Bible, a device. Colossians chapter 2, we've been working in our series from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Christianity begins when we make a connection with Jesus Christ as Lord. So we talked about the fact that the Bible talks about our relationship with God as being a gate. You go through a gate. Yes, you make a decision and you go through a gate. And it's a two-part decision, not a one-part decision. This is where a lot of the confusion got started because... People taught that there was only one decision you make in the beginning when you go through that gate into our Christian lives. But it isn't true. There are two decisions, it's a two part decision. One is to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the one that has been stated very clearly through the years. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have to believe that we have a sin problem, that Jesus came to solve the sin problem by dying our death on the cross that he rose again to prove he was victorious, and now we have to put our faith in him and ask God to forgive us from our sins. That's part one of the decision. Part two is we have to make a commitment to begin following Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. It's not a later thing that happens. It's something that needs to happen right at the beginning. So Paul wrote and he said, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's how your relationship with God began, continue to live in Him or continue to walk in Him. That is, the Christian life is not just going through a gate. It isn't just a prayer where we ask Jesus to forgive us from our sins and be our Savior, and we make a commitment to follow Him as Lord. But Christianity is also a path. We go through the the small gate and then we walk down the narrow path. And the narrow path is what we just sang about. I have decided to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus Christ down that narrow path. And so Christianity is not only a decision, it's a process. And we have to walk down that path and we have to continue to do it. That's what he says here. As you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to walk in Him. It's something we have to continue to do. In fact, he says earlier in this book, in Colossians chapter 1, that we make it to heaven if we continue to follow Jesus Christ down the path. So I want us to spend our time today kind of talking about the second piece of that, that continuing to walk Jesus with Jesus Christ down the path, and I want to start with four clarifying comments. If you have your notes from the back of the bulletin, here we go. Number one, the essence of lordship is obedience. Jesus said this clearly in Luke 6, 46. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? He says, I I don't get it. Why, Why are you saying... Why are you talking about me as Lord when you're not obeying? That's the essence of what lordship means. When we say, I have decided to follow Jesus, what we are saying actually is, I'm I'm going to do what Jesus Christ commands me to do. Lordship, the essence of it, is obedience. Number two, it's easy to talk about lordship and not obey. This is a problem in the church. It's easy to talk about lordship and not obey. It's easy to talk about God and the church and the Bible with certain groups of people, very easy to talk, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're obeying him. And, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that should stop everybody and give us pause. Not everybody who says Jesus Christ is their Lord is going to heaven. Everybody in this room, that that ought to jar in your ears when you hear it. I want to tell you, this is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Word of God to me, personally. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We, we can't just talk about Jesus as Lord. That, that's not enough. And the problem is, according to Jesus, there's a group of people and they believe it is enough. They think that what they're doing is what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, but, but it isn't. He goes on to say, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This leads us to number three in our, in our notes. It's easy to be active in church but not to submit to Jesus. It's easy to be active in church. You see, when, when he says prophesy and perform, we could put other words there. Lord, Lord, did we not serve in your name? Did we not teach in your name? Did we not sing in your name? Did we not pray in your name? It's easy to put other terms where those verbs are. And the point is, it's very easy to be active in church and yet not really to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Serving does not equal obedience. Attending church does not equal obeying Jesus. Praying and singing, those are not synonyms for obedience. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, what day? The day when they stand before God. It is appointed unto man once to die and after death to stand before God for judgment. He says, many. That's scary to me. I mean that seriously. It's scary to me. I've told you this before. It's just so true. I'm very very concerned that on the day we stand before Jesus Christ, somebody's going to come to me and say, you didn't make it clear to me. You didn't make it clear to me what God expected. Many will say, we were very, very active. We were active in the church. We were doing things. Wasn't that enough? And Jesus says, I'm going to say, I never knew you. Why is that? Because it's easy to be active in a church like ours and yet not to be submitted or surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. Which leads me to my fourth opening comment. It's essential for us all to do personal lordship checks. It's essential for all of us to do personal lordship checks, to check up ourselves. You say, well, I don't think that's in the Bible. Yes, actually it is. It's in the Bible quite clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He says, there is a way to test ourselves. To see, in fact, if we've gone through the right gate, we've gone through the right gate the right way, and... We are in fact actually following Jesus Christ down the narrow road. There is a test. I want us to take it today. Now, we actually started last week. We actually started last week, but you say, well, Pastor, what's the essence of the test? Here we go, 1 John 2. We know that we have come to know Him. Here's how you know if you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. Say, I thought it was about that prayer. No, that's just how this gets started. We make that prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior. We make a commitment to follow Him as Lord, but then we actually have to follow Him as Lord. And the essence of Lordship is obedience. Here's how you know. You know and I know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is mistaken. You say, it says liar. I'm trying to be politically correct. (laughs) He says, we're mistaken. We're fooling ourselves. There's deception involved here if we think that we have gone through the right gate the right way, and we're following Jesus down the narrow path if we are not obeying. So we started this last week, and I said, okay, what areas of our life would lordship affect? Where, where does God, what does God address? Well, he addresses money. We talked about that last week. And he addresses our bodies. He addresses purity. He addresses sex and sexual immorality. We talked about that last week. Well, today I want to talk about Relationships. And if you're taking notes, I have have 10 spots for you to write in. That's because I have 10 commands. I I just want to highlight 10 commands that God gives us in relationship to relationships. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody in this room can check. Either we're attempting to do them, and we're doing them, or we aren't. But you have to test yourself, and I have to test myself. We just have to match up and say, hey, am I really trying to do this? So we have 10 of them in about 20 minutes. So, you know, we have about a, a minute and a half or so for each one. Here we go. Number one, love others. It's the first statement on, on commands in, re, in terms of relationships. Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. Turn to the person next to you and say, Who's my neighbor? It's a good question. The guy in the Bible asked it, too. He said, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, it's whoever you come in contact with. It's your family. It's your associates. It's your real neighbor. It's the waitress. It's the cashier. Whoever you bump into, we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves. So off to the side in your notes, just write these three words. It'll be enough to get us started. Patient, kind, selfless. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is selfless. Here's what all of us are supposed to be trying to do because Jesus Christ commands it. We're supposed to be kind, patient, and selfless to the people we bump into. Say selfless. I I think I know what kind means. I have to work on that. I think I know what patient means. What, What do you mean by selfless? I mean this. We sacrifice what I want to make them happy. That's selfless. I sacrifice what I want to make the other person happy. This is what God wants from us. It's his base command in terms of relationships. Number two, he takes it farther though. He says we need to love our enemies. We not only have to love others, number one. Number two, we have to love our enemies. But you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, let me get this right. I have to love everybody. Jesus said this. He said, anybody can love people that love them back. Anybody can love the people that love them back. He said, I have a higher standard for you. My standard for my children is higher than just to love the people that love us back. We have to love the people who, who what? They don't love us back. They hate us. Now, we're all saints in this room. So everybody in this room, are almost perfect. I know that. But how many of you have somebody in your life who you actually don't get along with that great? Yeah, that'd be what an enemy is. See, some of you didn't raise your hand because you're perfect. You get along to everybody. You can skip this verse. It doesn't apply to you, but I can tell it applies to me. Now he said, you've got to love the people who don't like you. And then he went on. He said, work up a good feeling toward them. No, he didn't say that. Because that's not possible. They don't like us, we don't like them. It's, that's not how it works. It's a real cute one out there. You've got to turn your enemies into your friends and then love them. That's not true. It sounds cute. It's just not true. Jesus was very clear here. He said this. He said, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. That's how you love an enemy, right there. That. Do good. Bring them a cup of coffee when you get your cup of coffee, even though you're not getting along at work do good. Blow out the neighbor's yard when you're blowing out your yard, even though you're not really getting along because he's blowing his snow too far your way. (laughs) That's what this means. That's how we love. He says, do good, say good. Point out their good points. Even people who are annoyed with us and maybe we're annoyed with them, they still have good points. He says, point them out. Say good stuff about them. And he says, pray for them. And I don't think he means God bash him over the head. I don't think that's the prayer he's looking for here. I think he's saying pray positive things like God help them and bless them and encourage them and save them because sometimes they need to be saved. This is what God expects of us. Actually, he commands it. We not only have to love the people that love us back, we have to love the people who don't even like us. In fact, he went farther, number three. He said we have to forgive people who hurt us. Bear with each other. Colossians chapter 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you have a grievance, if somebody's done something and now it's hurt you, it's hurt me. He says that's the people we have to forgive. Forgive. And and we can't start putting qualifiers on it. Well, I'll forgive them as soon as they ask. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he said here. He said, we have to bear with each other and we have to forgive the people who hurt us, make grievances against us. We have to just choose to let it go. Say, well, if I let it go, they'll do it again. Maybe. If I let it go, they'll never have to deal with what they've done. They'll never have to, it'll never be right. Actually, Jesus addressed this. He said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. The Lord said so. No, that's not what it says. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That is, we choose to let it go and we say to God, I'm going to let you make this right. That's what he's asking us to do. Say, well, that's hard. I know. I'm not going to use this verse today, but in the Bible, he even told us how often we have to do this. He said you have to forgive him 3 times the fourth time you can just smack him. <laughs> Is that what he said? He said we have to forgive him how many times? Seven. <laughs> 70 times 7 that's 490. Wow. 490 Number four, he says treat people like we want to be treated. This is a relationship verse, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Want to sum up the Bible? He says this is how you do it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's a great verse. It's a great principle to have in your mind day after day after day. This is why we don't cut in line. Do you like it when somebody cuts in line in front of you? Anybody here like that? You're standing in line, you've been waiting for 45 minutes and somebody cuts right in front of you. You just say, well, thank you. Appreciate that. I was hoping somebody would cut in front of line. No, we don't like it. That's why we don't do it. You're walking across the parking lot and you step and you feel it and you think, oh, man, you look down, you step right in that piece of gum. That's why we don't throw gum on the parking lot. Because Jesus said, we treat other people the way we want to be treated. You say, do you really think it goes down to this level? I do. I think it's exactly what he means. When we go out to eat and we we have that meal, we give the waitress a nice tip. Why? Because if we were the waiter or waitress, we'd want a nice tip. That's what Jesus says. We don't talk about people behind their back because we don't like it when people talk about us behind our back. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. It's on this level. It isn't just a decision, it's a hundred and a thousand decisions, day after day after day, to do what God asks us to do. Number five, he says encourage each other, encourage everyone. He said don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't discourage, don't discourage, build them up. Find something positive to say, that's what Jesus Christ says. Find something positive to say. I want to say, even with our kids, especially with our kids, some days you have to work to find positive things to say to kids. Does anybody in this room agree? Some days you have to work to find positive things to say to your kids. Why? Because some days they're just, they're just being little rascals. And they've been it all day long. And, And you've just said no and no and no and don't and stop and knock it off. And you have to hunt to find something positive to say. But that's what he says we're supposed to do. And I want to add, we need to be careful with struggling people. Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians. We encourage you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Here's something I've seen in the church. People have a tendency to criticize the people who are struggling. I've noticed this in church. That people have a tendency to criticize the people who are already struggling. That doesn't help. They're already struggling. They're already disheartened. They're already weak. He says, for those people, don't add discouragement and criticism to their problems without thinking sometimes. Carelessly, carelessly critical instead of thoughtfully saying something that would encourage them along the path. Help them, help them get up underneath their load. Number six, he says we need to witness to the lost. It's part of our relationship. Marching orders from Jesus Christ. He says, witness to the lost. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord in 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. It's interesting that he prefaces this comment about talking to other people with a lordship comment. In your hearts, set apart, revere Jesus Christ as Lord. That's his opening comment. Boom. Then he, then he says, and that means I want you to be ready to talk to people who ask you about what's going on in your life and why you're positive in a world that's not positive. See, Jesus Christ assumes that the people who follow him as Lord, the people who follow Jesus Christ as Lord, they have a natural hope He said, other people will see something in your life if you're following Jesus Christ because that's the best life there is to follow Jesus Christ. And we truly have hope that this world isn't it, that there's more than this, and no matter what's going on in our life, that God's in control, and He's right here with us, and we can trust Him, and those things give us a hope, a foundational hope and peace and joy that other people, they do notice. He says, when they notice and they ask you, be prepared and speak up, and tell them. Number seven: help those less fortunate. It's a relationship command. Help those less fortunate. James chapter one: religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, as this—to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's what God wants from us. In Isaiah chapter one, he says, "Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow." There are people less fortunate than us. It's not because they're lazy. It's not just because they're lazy. Do you know what a privilege it was for you to be born in the United States of America and not in for instance in Cuba? That was nothing we did. God just plunked us down here in the United States of America with the wealth of capitalism. Instead of we were born in Cuba under the poverty of communism and socialism. That was a blessing of God. And He says to us, now help those less fortunate. So, any surprise that last week we took a little quick impromptu offering to buy books for pastors down in Cuba? No, it's the kind of thing God would ask us to do. Is it any surprise that we're going to take the first 23,000 of the praise offering this year and build a church in Cuba? No, it's no surprise. This is exactly what God would ask us to do, to help those people who are in less fortunate places and situations in our world. It's why we would donate to Love, Inc., or Samaritan's Purse, or adopt a child through world vision. It's the reason we would do those kinds of things because God tells us, help those who are less fortunate. Number eight, don't badmouth others. Say, wow, Pastor McNeil, seems like you got really big ones and really small ones. Jesus doesn't seem to distinguish in that way. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander, badmouth one another. Don't badmouth one another. It's it's an overarching relationship principle in God's word. Don't don't badmouth don't badmouth your parent kids. It's not right. Just because they tell you you can't do something you don't, you want to do, it's not right. You're not supposed to badmouth the president. It doesn't matter whether he's a Democrat or Republican. It makes no difference. We're not supposed to badmouth them. You're not supposed to badmouth the bad driver doesn't matter whether he's a, a man or a woman, a lot more women, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just a joke, lighten up. doesn't matter whether they're young or they're old, there are bad drivers on both ends of the spectrum. i have both in my family. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Doesn't matter whether they drive a big truck or a motorcycle. we're not supposed to badmouth drivers. We're not supposed to badmouth teachers it's just because they give us a homework, or they move our seat up front, so we'll quit fooling around in the back. How many of you in school ever got your seat moved? Me too. I had an orchestra in the back. We had a band in the back. We were playing imaginary instruments. Every time the teacher turned around to the board, the band got going. I was playing a, I was playing a trombone. We were playing in the back glass, And one time she turned around, and my trombone was still moving. That got me moved. Never did like that crummy teacher. No, we're not supposed to badmouth teachers. Not supposed to badmouth teachers or pastors because they go past ten thirty. We're in trouble. <laughs> Or or because they changed something. We're not supposed to badmouth. Not our neighbor because they plowed snow over the line. Or their dog took a dump on your roses. (laughs) We're not supposed to badmouth the neighbor. Say, you can't say dumb. Well, it was the best thing that came to my mind right there. (laughs) Number nine, we're supposed to submit to leaders. Submit to leaders. Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Kids to parents, adults to bosses and foremen and owners, drivers to policemen, choir members to choir directors. Submit to leaders across the board. Number 10, show respect to others. 1 Peter 2, 17, show proper respect to everyone. Leviticus 19, 32, he takes it a little farther and he says, show respect to the elderly. Oh yes, he does say that. It's it's not actually just a joke. Say, well, Pastor, I show respect when people earn it. That's clever but unbiblical. Clever. I'll give you that. That's clever. I'll give them respect when they earn my respect. That's not in the verse. There is a respect that's due. Kids respect parents. It doesn't mean that they're great parents, perfect parents. Parents are too respected because they're parents. There are respect. There is respect that goes just to the office. We're supposed to show respect and visit and show respect to the elderly, which is why, by the way, you go visit your grandma. It's why. It's why you help that elderly neighbor with their leaves. Cindy and I were driving down the road, and one of our neighbors had a tree go down. We just went home, changed, came back, helped them take care of their tree. You say, why? They were old. They say, you're old. That shows you how old they were. They were old. They needed help. We're supposed to show respect for the elderly. That's why I always hold the door open for Deb Hainer. (laughs) If I see her coming, I, I run and hold the door open for her. She's old. Needs help. I'm going there for lunch today to the Hainers, small group. I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know why, but I am. Well, Cindy and I bought a house a long time ago. It's the house we live in now. When we bought it, the basement was just a big empty room. All there was was a stairwell going down into it, and the stairwell was open on either side. You just walk down, you could just fall off the stairwell. But when we got there, we thought we got to fix this place up a little bit. So we went down in there and I put a bedroom down in there and I put a bath down in there and, and I put cedar on the walls, tongue and groove cedar on the walls, downstairs in the basement. But on one side of the stairwell, I build a wall all the way across. And I put just a regular door in there and that's where the furnace is and that's where the Hot water is, hot water heater is, and that's where our freezer is, and then I just build a bunch of shelves and that's where we put all the junk. You guys got a room like this too? Yeah, everybody's got a room like this. Some of you usually garage for it too, but I, I thought those were made for cars. So But I have this, I have this room. We have this room. Now when you come down in our basement, if we were gonna show you around, you'd see that door and I'd say, Oh, that's just our Our junk back there. We don't take you back there. You know what I mean? It's not on the tour. It's the the junk room. It's not open to you. Here's what I think. I think sometimes we have a room in our life and we have a door on it and we have it locked and we say to God you can't go in that room I'll follow you down the narrow road and I'll I'll do some of the things you want but this is the room where I keep my hurts and my grievances and I'm not letting go of them lock God I'll follow you but you stay out of that room I'll follow you down the narrow road, God. Hey, I wondered if it would happen again. I think they turned me down in the back so it wouldn't happen again. I'm getting a nod. Well, I wanted to see it happen again. I think sometimes in our life, there's a room and it's the money room. We say, God, I'll follow you down the narrow road, but I'm not letting you into my money decisions. Lock. And here's what I'm suggesting today. I'm suggesting when we're going to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, we have to hand him the keys to every room in our life. Every room. This lordship thing, it's not a smorgasbord where you get to pick and choose which parts of the commands that we're going to follow. You say, well, Pastor McNeil, I, I actually don't want to do some of those things. Me either. Now maybe you're in, the room, you're in this room and you say, well, I just want to do everything Jesus says. Well, I don't find them all that easy. Like when somebody really does me dirt... I don't just want to let it go. I got things I want to say to them. And I make my living with my mouth. I'm equipped to say it. I'm thinking of stuff I could say. And then God's saying to me, let it go. Click. Just lock the door and say, not in there. I'll I'll do this following you, but you can't go in that room in my life. Here's the thing. If we say we know him, but we do not do what he commands, then those claims are false. So here's what I'm asking everybody in the room today. The ten commands we talked about, that's for everyone. No one gets a pass. I'm asking everybody in the room, give Jesus Christ the key to every area of your life and decide what he says, that's what I'll do. What he says, that's what I'll attempt to do. And I think maybe somebody, we've been in this series for three weeks, you say, Pastor McNeil, how perfectly do we have to do this? You say we have to walk down this narrow road and we got to go all the way to the end. How perfectly do we have to do it? That is a really good question. And Cindy's going to answer it next week. Let's stand together. (laughs) I'm going to talk about that next Sunday morning. I'm going to talk about how perfectly does this pathway have to be lived. But here's what we do know. We can't lock some areas off to God. We can't do that. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us. All of us who say that we're committed to following Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that you will help us this week to put these principles into practice. That Father, as we bump into different people throughout the week, these ideas will come in mind. And Father, we'll do them not because it's what we want to do necessarily but we'll do them because it's what you've told us to do, and you're the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.